So we're going to spend the next um, chunk of summer, I would probably say darn near all of summer, kind of in this neighborhood kind of theme. It's, it's the places that we're in, what we're called to, everybody lives in neighborhoods. It's sort of interesting. By the way, um, for those of you that are visiting or, 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 or have not been here, I'm, I'm, I'm Carrie. Hi. And uh, uh, I'll be hanging out with you today. But before we uh, jump in, let's uh, pray that God will just be in this place and, and open our ears and hearts. Uh, God, we just thank you for who you are uh, and the ways that you love us, the way you call us, the way that you shape us, um, and the ways that you are clearly working in, in our lives and in the lives of people in our community and in this place. And so I invite your Holy Spirit here as we um, have this conversation, as we open your word, as we take a deeper look at Jesus and what uh, his time on earth calls us to. Uh, I pray that we can just hear things and see things in a new way. And maybe this is a, an old conversation or one we've been having for a really long time. I pray that um, you'll give us new insights uh, because it's what you do. And so uh, we thank you for this place just to gather, um, to speak truth and light because of who you are and what you've done. For in Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. So this was an um, exercise that we did that I'm going to talk about later because my car doesn't look awesome and I will share it with you. But we all live in neighborhoods of one kind or another. So maybe you live in a neighborhood that looks like this, right? This is a little bit more subdivision. When I was growing up, I lived on 48th Avenue and that was considered um, country back then, right? Like my grandma had 40 acres of land and so it was like our family and then behind us was field. But then when I was growing up, they built Georgetown, um, what's it called? Georgetown Forest. That's it. And you'd like hang out in there and we'd ride our bikes through there and mess around in the houses that were just being like framed in, which was not cool, but we weren't doing any vandalism. So don't worry about that. So maybe your neighborhood looks like this and you've lived there for 20 years and you have a ranch style home and it's what you do and your neighborhood likes it, looks like this. And I love hearing stories. I have friends of mine that live um, I'm like a cul-de-sac in those neighborhoods and they have these great stories of getting together and having fires in their, um, in their driveways and people come over or uh, friends of mine lived in a neighborhood like that where like the backyards converged and it was one giant backyard and everybody just played on everybody's stuff and people were getting hurt on trampolines and people were, you know, medicking their other people's children and it was great and fun. Uh, neighborhoods like that are kind of cool. Maybe you live more like a Grand Rapids neighborhood or an older neighborhood and your neighborhood looks a little more like this. I love those neighborhoods. This reminds me of when I visit um, my friends, uh, the Kriegels, and I hang out at their house. They live on the west side of Grand Rapids. And it's just like the homes are right on top of one another. The, the Kriegels actually have to share a driveway with their, with their neighbor. That's how kind of tight things are. That gets to know your neighbor real quick uh, and can become tenuous really, really quick sometimes too. Um, but neighborhoods look like that and I love that. People walking down the street and um, you've got these you know, old front stoops that people uh, spend time on. Or, or maybe you have lived apartment life and this is you. I lived in an apartment for a long time um, and so that's, that's one of those places where you walk into and you never know all the smells that are going to hit you in the face because there's like four floors and everybody's cooking something different at night and that's good and bad, right? So, so maybe I feel like some of these places, it can be even more difficult, right, to, to know somebody or maybe you get to live here. Oh, 
Maybe so some of you live in the castle or that's your dream and you can't wait to live in the, in the Granville castle. People keep telling me as I wanna you know, be part of the Granville neighborhood, that's the first thing people say is maybe you should live in the castle. Uh-huh. Maybe I should, I'm looking into it, we'll see. It's actually more expensive than I thought it was, so. Mm. Uh, but either way, no matter where you live, we all live in some sort of neighborhood where your people are. Um, maybe if you live in the country, I feel like I'm, feel like I'm looking at the, the Scoltons, you guys live more in the country and maybe your neighbors are further apart, but you have them, right? You have them. They're a little easier to like keep off in the, in the distance a little bit. I live in a condo and, and it's an older style condo. And so we're right next to each other, but we don't see each other a lot especially because we're never outside doing yard work, right? Like that's sometimes a place where you meet people is when you're mowing and weed whipping and shoveling. I don't do any of that. So good for me, but it's harder, right, to meet those people that live, that live near me. I didn't, how did you guys do on this? I, I know, let's be honest with ourselves. Uh, and it, sometimes it's harder saying, okay, I've, I'm gonna give myself, I've only lived here a year and a half, so okay. And some of you are like, I've lived in my house for 20 years and I didn't do a whole lot better. But the guy that lives next to me, I've met him. <sighs> yep, single guy drives a white Jeep. That's what I know about him. That's it. Um, the, the people that live next to, next to him uh, are, um, a, it's a single lady. And then next to them is a younger couple. And then next to them is um, Mary Beth. And I know them really well because they like, went to high school with my mom. So they're always like keeping an eye on me, that kind of thing. Next to me is the only guy I know and he did all the work. His name is Matt and uh, he works third shift as a nurse. And so we kind of have the coming and going. As he was leaving, I would come out or on his days off, he would, um, he does like um, woodworking and stuff. And we have these little um, garages, right? These little one stall garages. And so in order to do the work, he's gotta come out of the garage, set up a little workbench, and he's great. And then eventually I met his girlfriend, Kara, who became his fiance and now they're married. And so now I say hi to Matt and Kara and I know the most about them. And he did all the work, he really did. He, I would say hello to him and he would always engage me in, in conversation. He knows my name. I had um, my nephew over the other day and, I, and I, I always refer to him as my nephew. And he goes, oh, and how's Aiden? I probably said his name like one time, but Matt, locked it away. Matt's awesome. Matt should be preaching this series of sermons because Matt is good at knowing his neighbors. And then I it could go down and then I lose track. And then it's, I think, another older couple. I have no idea who lives in the next one. I think it's a guy. I don't ever see him. His car's always, he's always working on something, but I never see him, but I know he's working on his car. It's always up and the tire's missing, that kind of a thing. And, and then there's the couple at the end who I think all, they're must be retired, but all they do is walk. You just see them and they're like, and they're all through the neighborhood and you see them and you see them when you go out and you're like, I don't know how long you've been walking. I've been gone for two hours. And here they're finally circling back in the neighborhood and they have a camper, so they, they go camping. I've never once had a conversation, but when you live in a condo, everybody waves. Do you live in neighborhoods like that? Maybe other places are like that too, where you don't know each other, but you wave because you're pleasant, because we're pleasant people and that's what we do. Well, the church has this buzzword that uh, I don't love, but when we say we wanna, 
we want to live on mission. You heard people say that in your church, or in churches in your past, right? We want to live on mission. And I, I get what they mean. It's, it's a book that we're kind of looking at for the summer series. Basically, it's how do we put in the things that we know about who Jesus is and was when he was here on earth, and how do we put that into practice? But when we say it like that, it sounds like a really bad James Bond movie. Like, this is your mission, should you choose to accept it. This will self-destruct and, you know, whatever. Um, but the goal, right, of our overall mission Really, you could get rid of the word altogether and just say life, right? The goal of our lives is for our life to match Jesus' life. We talk a lot about Jesus' ministry here on earth. It was just his life. It wasn't a, I mean, it was a ministry because of the way that he lived his life, but our life in general speaks into that. So we don't have to use the word ministry or mission it's the way that we wanna live our life. And we've, we've spent a lot of time taking a good look at the person of Jesus, right? We've, we did a lot of that in our very first series here. If you, if you weren't here, we spent the very kind of first few weeks talking about the kind of church that we wanted to be. And so there's gonna be some things that are gonna sound familiar to you, but we're gonna zoom in a little bit more and look at the, some of the practicality of that. We've spent some time getting into scripture and pulling it apart and parsing it and finding out the cultural context of that. And that's been so good and rich. But in the next little bit, we're gonna have a conversation about what is that, how do we take that a little bit and, and extrapolate it so that we live into it, into the way that we live our lives so that we're more like Jesus. Because some of you have been looking at Jesus your whole life and you're older than me. That's a long time. But at the same time, it's like, do, when I look at some of the things that Jesus was doing and our strive to be more like him, does my life still look like Jesus? And that's where it's tough, right? The difficult thing is to begin to live the way that Jesus lived. Jesus spent time always, always, always with people, right? He had his 12. Those are the people that he kept close. And then he had another group of people that were just his inside, the people that um, he loved and cared about and, and felt safe with and um, would sleep at their house and share meals. And, but he always stopped, no matter what he was doing, and, and, and for the people that maybe were invisible to everybody else. Or the people that were completely outcast in, in, a, in a certain society or culture of the day, right? No matter what he was doing, he stopped and made time for those people. One of my favorite stories in scripture is um, in, in, in Mark, where he talks about where Jesus has met Jairus, um, this um, Pharisee, this, this teacher of the law, and he's a Jesus fan. And so he's like, my daughter is, is dying and I need you to come and save her because I've heard what you can do. And so there, he's like, yes, I'm on it, team, let's go. And he brings his people and they start on their way. And then they meet this bleeding woman. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She's not gonna die. Right, like she's been, this, this has been something that's happened. The urgency of somebody going to a dying child, he still stops for this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and it's been awful, but it's not life-threatening. But he stops. And he takes the time not only to heal her, but to know her, to hear her story, to listen to what she has to say, to hear where she's been, to, to understand her pain and her hurt. Right? He talked to kids and got down at their level and said, Let, don't, 
don't keep them away from me. Let the children come, right? Like I wanna spend time with them. And I can imagine from what we know about Jesus that he was, like, he was the guy that the kids loved, right? And he, he would get on, you know, and, and crouch down and get on his knees and, 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 and play with them and hug them. And that's, that's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. But Jesus makes it very clear about what our goal on earth is supposed to be. In Acts 1, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's familiar to you, right? We're gonna have power. Power that doesn't come from us, but comes from the Holy Spirit working in us. He promises us that. And then you may remember a conversation that we had about what it means to bear witness. You are gonna be my witnesses of all the things that you've seen me do and act and the faithfulness that, that, that I've had in your life. I want you to bear witness to that. I want you to be my witnesses where you go in your neighborhood, in the places that you are. Because of all the places, he wants you to start in Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But the first is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the holy city. It's where they lived. It was their neighborhood. It's where they came to temple. It was their place. Their first. Spend time there first. We, especially church folks, we love to go places, right? It sort of makes us feel better to go out into the world. And we like to hit up the ends of the earth really quick. I'm like, we're going on a trip. Get your passports. And it's good, right? We have right now, there is a group from Alive in Jenison and they are in the Dominican Republic. And that's awesome. And I've taken trips to Guatemala and it's good. But I think sometimes the problem that we have, the issue that we have is that the people are coming to know God and accepting Jesus in places like Guatemala. But what about your neighbor? who doesn't, who still doesn't know. There's a disconnect, right? We need to start in our actual, literal neighborhoods. And maybe for you, like for right now, I don't live in, in Granville. I'm, I'm praying that that will happen and that God will provide a place for that in the near future. But for now, what can I do to make Granville my place? My going to the bar, the gym, the office, uh, your grocery stores, your, the, the places you go to school. Um, and it could be your literal home and street because wherever you are, that's good. I'm trying to focus on Granville because that's where our church is. But you get to start in the places that you are, where you are, your Jerusalem, your, your haunts, the places you hang out. There's two important laws that God gives us and one is in Matthew 22 uh, where he says, love. Let me back up a little bit. Um, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and they're kind of, again, trying to trap him. And they're, and they're basically, well, what's the greatest commandment there, uh, there, Jesus? And he says, he quotes the, the Old Testament when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, for this is the first and greatest commandment. And then he adds the caveat, the caveat that changes everything. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So at the end of the day, love your dad and take care of his kids. And by the way, his kids live next door to you. We, we overcomplicate things hugely because what we do 
we, we like to get heady and we study things and it's good. And then sometimes we overstudy and overcomplicate until we've lost the root of this. Love your dad, take care of his kids. I feel like that's a really easy way to, to remember it because at the end of the day, every child of God is responsible for the well-being of his brothers and his sisters, the ones in the world, the ones on your street, the ones in your favorite coffee shop. People often say things to me like, well, that's great, that's easy for you. Like, you work for a church, you've worked for a church for a long time, your personality, you're so outgoing and like, you love talking to people. Yeah, that's true, but I'm still not good at it. <laughs> right, I'm, not, I'm just not. I'm, not, I'm not good at it. You could tell the, the list of, of neighbors, I've lived there for a year and a half and even in my outgoing self, when I come home, I don't know if you're, you're like this, but when I come home, I'm done. Uh-huh, uh, I love, you guys are like, yes, I resonate with that. I've maybe done all the spending I wanna do energy-wise, and when I come home, I'm done. I wanna close the garage door, and I wanna do whatever I have to do, whether it's I gotta clean a little bit, and then I'm, my, my goal is at the end of the night, right? What I get to watch. I'm gonna watch something. Again, my goal is to go to the next episode. I'm gonna watch. Do I have time for two? Maybe three. I don't know. Because I'm done. I had, a, this poor woman was my, was my roommate uh, for, for a little bit. I took a renter and maybe some of you know her, her name's Noelle and she was great. And she moved in with me. Um, and she was always with like, the first week she, she moved in, she would like pop up the stairs because that's the kind of person she was. And she would start Blah, and she would just talk, and, what, and it was great. And I'm all like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to, I'm sort of trying to watch my show, right? Like I'd expended sort of everything, and I'm like, you're great, and I love you a lot. But if you could go back downstairs, that'd be great, <laughs> right? It's I'm I'm done. But part of my job is to to figure out how to be better at that. But then as a pastor, according to Paul, it, part of my job is to equip God's people for acts of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So when we gather together in this space, we wanna make each other better by opening scripture, by, by looking at, at who Jesus is so that we can, we can have a better picture of what we want to live into. And whether you know it or not, you have influence, right? You are the ones that have relationship with people in your spheres of influence, whatever that looks like. So you all have a job. You all go to certain restaurants. Um, when I go in to Wild Roast in Granville, I was so excited when they came. Most of the staff knows exactly who I am and I wanna keep it that way. I wanna go in and I wanna be kind when I order and they mess something up or they're slow. I want to tip really, really well. Um, I want people in there, the, the staff not only to know who I am, but I want the other regulars to know who I am so that I can have the great conversations with people, right? Like you all have influence in places that you go. Maybe some of you, creatures of habit, if you're a creature of habit, that's a, this is a great scenario for you. You're gonna know people really well. When you walk into those, I see those, like the guys that have uh, coffee early, like it, at um, Big Apple Bagel, they're gonna solve the world's problems with this group of guys, right? It's just like, it's group, and they, they all bring in their thermoses, but they're there every morning at a certain time, I can't remember anymore, without fail, right? I know who they are and they've engaged me in conversation before. That's sort of the stuff 
that we're talking about is because relationship gives you permission. And I was in Young Life for a really long time and I love the way that Young Life says it, is if you want to share the gospel with somebody, if you want people to know Christ, who he really, really is, you have to earn the right to be heard, right? If you've ever had somebody come in and like leave you tracks and things like that, or you've heard, you know, the people with the megaphones that preach on the street corners, they might, they might get the attention of a few people and, and there might be some positive results from that. But the average person is gonna respond negatively to that kind of stuff, especially in our area where there's tons and tons and tons of churches. So tracks, I mean, sure, <laughs> if that's the route you wanna go, but when you really want to affect somebody and, and have change in a person's life, it's because of who you can be. Because you know Jesus. Because Jesus is living in you, therefore you get to live him out in your daily life and daily walk. And now America, here's, here's the interesting thing I found out. America now makes up the largest mission field in the world. 195 million people don't go to church and 60% of the people in our community don't, aren't connected. And, and for some people, that just means they're disconnected to a church and maybe they've been hurt by the church. And there's tons of stories about that, right, in our area, that they've been hurt and they're like, this, if this is what it is, I'm out. I still love Jesus, but this whole church thing, I'm out. But then there's some that because they're not connected to a church, they could potentially be connected from the fa- disconnected from the Father altogether. I'm not... I'm not having that. That's, not, that's, that's part of the reason we want to say, why another church in Granville? There's all kinds of churches in this area. Why are you building another church in Granville? I'm making eye contact with the lead team who came before me and said, like, you're, built, you're planting another church? And they would look at you and go, in Granville? Right? Another? How many do you pass on the way here? What are you guys trying to be about? Well, we're, we're trying to figure out how to love and care for our community the way that Jesus would in a way that is inviting, in a way that says no matter what you look like or where you're from or what your status in the world is, you are welcomed in this place. But the truth is, knowing people is a lot harder than it used to be. Some of, some of you are, especially some of you with some gray hairs are going, mm-hmm, I remember the good old days and we sort of reminisce. My, my grandma loves to reminisce about how great life was, right? In the 40s and 50s. And we watch old movies and we're like, sometimes I'm like, wouldn't that be so great if life were like that? And you put out the milk for the milkman to come and you were like, hey, John, thanks so much. And then he'd come and you knew your mailman and that was all so nice. And the kids were playing baseball in the lot and they drank from hoses and they came home for dinner when it got dark out those were the days, weren't they? And they were. There was something really cool about that. But I think there's some reality, the fact that we don't live that way anymore. Our culture has completely shifted. Homes are huge now. Homes are bigger, right? According to the National Association of Home Builders, the average size of a new single-family American resident in 1950 was under 1,000 square feet, 983. And today, it's nearly... 2,500 square feet. So even while the homes are getting bigger, people are having much smaller families, right? 
kids don't need to go outside anymore. Like it used to be that you'd want to just get outside to get away from people, right? But you don't even need to do that because everybody has their own room and, and there's TVs in every room and there's like TV rooms and playrooms and your bedrooms and their parents have their own room. I want to show you a house that, this is the house that my dad grew up in. It is right by Bursley School on Ardmore Street. So if you kind of walk to the end, you can, um, you can see Bursley School. That's the house that he bought from my grandparents. That is the house that he grew up in. It is a very tiny home, three bedrooms with a Michigan basement. So you can't really finish it. It's got poles in there and that kind of stuff. You can fit a ping pong table down there pretty good, right? And some other stuff. You, nobody could ever have lived down there, have a room down there. But it was another space. And there's three tiny bedrooms and a backyard and eight people lived in that house, right? Like, and they, that, that wasn't uncommon. My dad has six brothers and sisters and two parents and they all live there. And the brothers, you know, and there was uh, two girls, right? So the two girls kind of got their own space and they were pretty thankful there was only two girls. And the rest of the boys like bunked up. They had army style bunk beds in their room. And can you imagine they were never inside? Why would you want to be inside when there's eight people living in that tiny house? By the way, one bathroom, just the one, the one tiny, tiny bathroom. It's so funny for me to think and to remember my grandparents living there and for them on top of that to have our whole family over. I have 26 first cousins, right? With a family of, if I have five uncles and aunts, we have, a, we have a big family and we used to cram in there and my grandma made uh, the, you know, we had this giant table and she made all the turkeys and the pies and all the things and all the land and we all crammed in there. And by the way, they smoked at the time. So whew, it was rough, right? It was rough, it was rough. Mom would have me come home and take my clothes off in the half bath and just like keep going. It was, it was this, that's, that was more normal, right? For back then, when you go through some of the older homes in, in Jenison and in Granville, you see houses like that. And lots of times now, their first-time home buyers are picking them up. And as soon as they have a kid, they're like, we got to go. There's not enough room for this kid to fit in here, right? It's nuts. But you had to. And so now, and most homes now have backyards instead of front yards. And so backyards are great. But what I hear, if you watch HGTV, like they love to have private backyards, Oh, it's so it's nice, such a nice big backyard. And I love the fence. It gives us a little bit of privacy. That's so nice. And that's what we like. And we want our fences so that, um, you know, people can't always see everything that we're doing. And we build cute little pergolas and we bring our families back there and we have nice little cookouts and it's lovely. People aren't ever, I mean, you don't see people. We used to have front porches, Right? This is a front porch that people would sit out on so that they could engage with the people in the streets. And, and people used to sit out on those stoops, right? And it was, you know, people didn't have air conditioning. That's part of it, right? You could go outside to get the breeze and you're, you're interacting with people. This is actually my friend um, Ben and Stacy's house. They bought this house in Holland um, not, too many, not too long ago, actually. And they bought it without a front porch, and they bought it with the contingency that the, before they put an offer on it, they went to the, to the township or however that works and said, this is the house we're thinking of buying. We want to put a front porch on it. Before we buy this house, is that possible? Yes, it is. So they lived there for about a year and now they have this cozy, 
uh, front porch area, but they did it with the intention of so that it is that. They have a little backyard. It's not a big backyard. It's a, it's a downtown sort of Holland home, right? Little backyards. They wanted to be in that front porch mentality so that when they see their neighbors, they invite them over and they see the kids play across the street and then their boys come and play outside. And it's just this sort of great community intentionality kind of thing, right? Like they did it on purpose and it's such a great space and it's a gap. So when people come, like students, they both uh, are at Grand Valley, they love to sit on the front porch because they're gonna meet their neighbors. So the, the posts introduce them to people and they actually know their mailman. There's actually once earlier this, this winter, Ben must have been outside and he was um, shoveling his driveway during you know, one of the three snowmageddons that we had. And he took a selfie with his mailman because he's like, he has the longest walking route in Holland. He was listing all these things that he knew about his mailman and was like, you're, the, you're awesome that you do this, right? So he had this great conversation with the guy that delivers their mail every day. It sounds so simple, so, I don't know, Carrie, you're being a little bit hallmarky about it, right? But I, I love that because we've, we've moved in general, both literally and figuratively, from the front to the back, where we, we want to keep, it's not we don't intentionally, we're not saying, I intentionally want to keep you out. It's just the way that we do things now. We, we want our family and our friends because you know what else makes it hard? Not just these home sizes and moving from the front to the back. Uh, I have really cool friends. Do you have amazing friends? I have amazing friends and I don't want to hang out with anybody else. <laughs> like that's the truth. If I'm honest with myself, if you're honest with yourself, we have a m- small amount of time and, and free and to be in our schedule and I want to hang out with my people. Because my people are flipping awesome. And I don't want to take the time. So then I think, okay, if, if that's true for me, chances are it's true for you because I, I want to spend that time with the people that I love and, and that I care about. But I've got to figure out how to make room in my life for other people, for people that I don't already know. It's really hard to make new friends as an adult. Like once you sort of get out of college and, and, and that's the biggest thing that I would, would talk to when um, students are kind of transitioning from college into the real world. I'd have them over to my house and we would chat and they're just like, I just feel like I go to work and come home and that's sort of it. Because it's hard to make friends. So I said, well, it's hard to make friends. And we've got this issue of like people that we don't know. I feel like let's make that happen together. What are the, what are the places that you already spend time in that if you just spent more time interacting while you order your latte? There's just relationships there that I think could be more important. There are people that I've met in the strangest places where I've like met them and then we've exchanged phone numbers and, and, and we've met for coffee and some of those have stayed and some of those were just for a short window. But I think what does it feel like to open yourself up to that sort of thing? Do you remember the story um, we talked about back in, in March uh, in scripture of the Samaritan woman at the well? We talked about all the implications of what that would be because she was a Samaritan woman. Um, But what I want to have you remember back from that story, right, is that he meets her in the middle of the afternoon and she's kind of like, why are you talking to me? Jesus is trying to sort of say, this is who I am. I want to offer you living water. And she's like, yeah, well, you don't know me. 
right? I can't go get my, he's like, go, go get your husband and then come back and I'll tell you more. And she's like, I don't have a husband. Is that sounding familiar to you? I don't have a husband. And Jesus is all, I know, you've actually had five husbands and the guy that you're living with right now, not your husband. I don't think he said it like that. <laughs> that's the way I say it, because that's the way I would say it. He says, but the guy that you're living with now is not your husband, but he still offers her this living water. But then what does she do? She tells the whole town. She lives in Samaria, right? So in this case, Samaria is her Jerusalem because this is where she lives. This is where her people are. Everybody knows her and her, I would say they probably called it a situation, right? And she goes and she tells everybody, you've got to come and meet this guy who told me everything about myself. He knew everything about me. You got to come. And then she asked the question, could this be the Messiah? She had one brief and kind of weird interaction with Jesus. This seemingly trashy woman has, a, has an encounter with Jesus and the first thing she does is tell, wants to tell everybody about it. She goes and she, and this is like a story, you I mean, you want to have told. Guys, I've been married five times. I don't know if you all knew that, but, the, but he already knew. I just think that's so counterintuitive. Like, I just don't think that that's how the story should go. But she tells everybody. And then later in the story, in, John, uh, in John's recollection of it, John 4, 39, he tells us, and many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of that woman's testimony. I love that, right? Because she decided to share her encounter with Jesus, what he'd done for her, she had to tell her neighbors, the people that she lived with, what happened to her, and many believed because of that, right? People are ready to hear the gospel. Jesus himself says the harvest is ripe, right? I think the issue is the people in the world and our neighbors are more ready to receive the good news of the gospel than we are to give it. And that sounds a little harsh, but I, the more I think about it in my own life, the more I know that that's true. They are ready to hear it, but I'm not always ready to give it all the time because I'm, Sunday's a big day. And then I work hard all day to get here and do this with all of you. And, it's, and I make excuses to why to not to. But I think they are begging to hear it. And, and most of them, their first connection is not gonna be in a place like this. It's gonna be because they went to a place like love because they needed something. And they went to that place because they had immediate needs. And in that place, they're gonna meet somebody that is gonna be in a relationship with them that's gonna let to get to know who they are and the story that they have through a budget class or through by getting groceries from, with the same person every week that's going to be how they're introduced and experience Jesus. And then maybe they show up here. Then maybe church becomes this connecting point, right? We're here to be part of an, a new church because we have stories to tell about what God has done for us. Most of you that are in this place have said yes to coming here uh, from a place you already were because you have stories to tell about Jesus and his goodness and his faithfulness in your life and the way that you've experienced him. And you're like, I wanna be at a church that's about that. 
That's about sharing our stories with each other. That's about bringing our stories from outside of this space into the world in which we live. That's what we said we wanted to be about. So you have people in your life that need to hear your story, right? They wanna hear your story before they hear the gospel story in its detail. Because you are living, when you have Jesus inside you, you are living the gospel story. But they need to hear from you because they have the relationship with you. And we can't share anything more with that until we've earned the right to be heard. So we need to make some room. Not just butts in the seats here, but we need to make some room in our lives. We need to maybe say, I need to get rid of some things to make room for other things. Right, I might have to sit down with my friends and say, I'm not, not this week because I'm going to do, my goal this week is to, maybe I'm finally going to go talk to that other young couple that I don't really know very well. They had a, like a weird party in their driveway one time and it was awkward and they looked, and I didn't know who, like, who the homeowner was. And so I was going to say hi and then I sort of like, and then just pretended I was going for a walk around the lake. I did that. And they didn't say anything to me, so I was like, oh, well, next time. Like, <laughs> you get up the courage, and then, ah, next time. But maybe you were going to try to live intentionally about making room and saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this to the side so that I can be more about this, right? The people that we don't know, that God is already, even now, right, drawing to himself, may never set foot at Alive in Granville, whether it's here or there in our big fancy building, but that's not our goal. Our goal is not, about pointing people to a church. It's about pointing people to God. And we can't do that well without taking the time to be in relationships with more people and to notice people that are right in front of us that so often go unnoticed or worse, those people that uh, we avoid. Do you have those people in your life that you just, it's uncomfortable so you avoid them? Maybe it's in your own family. Maybe it's the neighbor that secretly hates you or you think, or you kind of secretly hate them a little bit. <laughs> hate might be a strong word, but you're in sort of this, I'm not mowing that line. Or their dog poops in my yard one more time. We have things in our life that, that, that get in the way of, of some of those things that, that, we, that we avoid or things that make us uncomfortable that we avoid altogether. I had this old neighbor um, when I lived in the apartment and she would, I'd come home from whatever I was doing and she um, talked on the phone all the time. I think she, her, uh, it's got, getting to know her a little bit, her boyfriend was a, like a truck driver and so he's on the road all the time. So they talked on the phone. Well, she would sit, no matter what the weather, she would stand outside and sometimes walk around and she would talk on the phone and smoke for forever. Just, and so sometimes, and, but when I would come in, she was always wanted to chat. She was really a nice woman. And so I'd come in and then she would like, say, hold on. And then I was thinking, she's just going to ask me something. And then we would talk for 15, 20, 30 minutes. And I'd be standing outside with my arm full of stuff. It's like, she's always outside. So even if I come home at 1030, guess who's there? Lisa. And so sometimes I would see, oh gosh. Okay. I would see her outside and I'd be like, Lisa's here. I am tired. I don't want to do this today. So I don't, I don't know if you've ever done this. Took out my cell phone and pretended to have a conversation all the way to the door. I was talking to zero people, but I didn't, I didn't want to. Lisa would have talked to me all day, every day. And for the most part, we had really good conversations. 
they were good. But sometimes I just was like, I don't want to do this today. So I'm going to have a fake conversation with my friend. <laughs> so I just didn't have to. I want to get, I want to move where instead of being that, I'm looking for opportunities. Maybe I want to be more like Lisa, right? I'm going to like, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you. All right, that sounds a little stock. Don't stalk people. <laughs> Even in the name of Jesus is not cool. But maybe there's, in your places that you are, maybe there's the guy in your office that has a completely uh, total opposite political view as you, but they love to talk about their view and you sort of want to smother them with a pillow in your own head, right? You'd never do it. I'm not saying that, but you think those thoughts. I know you do. Maybe it's engaging him in, in a conversation, in a different conversation. What if that same guy might be your father-in-law? How are you going to engage that conversation? Or think of ways, instead of avoid the things that make us uncomfortable about people, we sort of lean into other things. Not everything, not a person's political persuasion defines who they are. So let me find something else to talk to this guy about who generally wants to talk about this thing only. I want to change conversations. There's a better way, I think, to talk and to meet and to, to understand that there are some people that feel invisible. When you're in your community, depending on where you live, right, there's, there's this guy that rides his bike and he just does loops. That's all he does. And, and he's said hello to me before and I've said hello to him and I've been on my bike and I've never engaged him in a full conversation. I think he's got some co cognitive or some, some delays. He can have a conversation and talk, but I don't because it feels like it's going to be hard and awkward. And I don't know, what if I do it wrong? And then I was going to church lately, uh, or this morning I, I noticed it. It's probably been up for a long time. I um, live off 36th Street. And 36th Street, there is, uh, on 36th Street going uh, up to my neighborhood, there's a big um, uh, pride flag on my street. And I remembered that it's, that June is Pride Month, right? The LGBT community has a month where they, they have some different marches and things like that. And they go and they, they, they just say, we're here. For so often we're in the fringes, but we just want you to know that we're here. And then I thought, okay, in my life, I don't run into these people that I know of. These people, I don't like how that sounded. But you know what I'm trying to say. And in this day and age, we know somebody that identifies an LGBTQ or you have friends that do. And I'm not saying this is what you should believe about this and we're not gonna go into that today. But what I'm saying is we've been talking so much about dignity and the dignity of people that, that you know someone or your kids know someone, there's someone in your life that identifies. And so could that one thing sometimes just be instead of avoiding that conversation, we remember the identity that they have because of who they are in Jesus Christ and we just engage them. Because I think so often that's a group of people that we don't know what to say or what to do, so we just avoid. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's because I saw that today. Maybe it's because it's, it's June and it's, all, it's just all over that makes me think of it. But I just think about that community because I think they feel invisible. 
And so in the dignity of that, maybe we, maybe we lean into having those conversations. I'm not, I'm not even saying, now I want you to go and find someone who is gay and bring them to your house. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, notice people for their inherent dignity in who they are. And for some of you, maybe it's, it's, it's gonna be the place you stop in for coffee every day. Engage in a conversation. Learn that barista's name, right? I love that. I, my, friends of mine are really good at it. When we go out to dinner, every waitress we ever have or waiter, uh, they have a conversation with and they get to sometimes get to know. I was hanging out with the Glabs the other day and we were hanging out and she was a Grand Valley student as a lot of college students, right, in the area go to Grand Valley and they are servers. And by the end of it, he gave her his phone number at work. He works in the uh, Grand Valley bookstore and he's like, come see me if you want a job. I was like, how cool is that, right? Like, I'm inviting you into this. I'm hearing a little bit of your story. It sounds like you don't love to work here. You have different aspirations. This place isn't awesome. Sorry, B-dubs is delicious, so we will continue to go there, right? But I wanna listen to who you are and what you have to say. I'm gonna take the time I'm here with my friends and my family around a table to share a meal, but I see you. And I wanna get to know a little bit of who you are. Friends of mine have a, a kid that's really into baseball and they're in a travel team. And they've, instead of saying, sometimes we rail against sports, like we're so busy with sports and our kids are in all the things and you don't have time to do anything and shame on you. That doesn't, that's not awesome. <laughs> I don't love how that feels. So how do you make the sports your kids are in part of your community? So they've done that. Their kids are into baseball. And so if they're hanging out on a Sunday at a travel team event, like that's their people. And they've learned how to, how to get to know them and they're pouring into them and they're inviting them to their homes afterward to say, come and be part of our community. Be part of our space. Come to our house for food or a fire so that our kids can, and after they've played a game, let's just let them be kids and play. Like, I just think that there are things that we can do if we will intentionally take the time. One day a week, you can think about a new way to interact with your neighbor. If you can just take one day of the week, I'm not saying every day has to be huge, but that's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna take these ideas and we're gonna try to make them make them practical, and then practice them, right? And so this, this book that we're gonna go through, and I'll, I'll bring it next time so that you can see it, and if you wanna grab it, you should. It's great. It's called Life on Mission by Tim Harlow. And he's kind of got these, here's what we need to do. And there's some steps. And it's not like a steps and follow these things, but it's sort of like this, this is the way that together is a good way to live out this life of intentionality, and so that's what we're gonna talk about. So I want you to think about your neighbors, take this thing home with you so that we can think and together figure out intentional ways of being uh, inviting, not to church, but into our lives. And so maybe the, the next thing is you're just gonna try to know somebody new or have a different interaction or do, I'm like, I see that they're mowing the lawn, I'm gonna mow my lawn too. I don't know. We're gonna get creative together, but it's what we wanna be about. Are you guys, are we in? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, the ways that you love us, the ways that you care for us, the things that have happened in our lives that make us who we are. This room is full of stories about how you have, you have cared for people, and some, some have maybe 
different stories of, of they were, they have stories of they were deeply lost and now they're found. Maybe some have grown up in families of, of, of faith, generations of faithfulness and believers in, in God. And some people are sitting here going, I still am uncertain about this whole thing. But God, they are your people and your stories. And we know that when we have you in our lives, that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and that you call us to live a certain way. That you call us to be the incarnation. God, you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to become like one of us, to become God incarnate on this earth so that, that we have the opportunity to know you better. And so now that responsibility you've left with us, that we can be the very face of Jesus, the incarnation resides in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that we can, can sort of search our souls and our life and maybe take, some, um, maybe take some time to look at the way we spend our time. And can we make room in our lives to invite people in to have a conversation about who we are because you are at the very core of our stories. God, I pray that we will see people the way that you see people, that we will take time to invite those people that go unnoticed and that everything that we do will bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. And all God's people said, amen. amen.